0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us at Public Health Live, um, a platform exploring basic truths of public health issues in the world and building upon the importance of people being able to make informed decisions about their health. We get to the core of some of the hottest topics in public health, whether popular opinion or not, um, as viewed through Various lenses. I'm Dija Sully, a longtime professional in the public health industry, and I'm joined here with some of my co hosts. We all have some skin in the game and have heard some things and have seen some things, and we're here to share what we know. So, um, without further ado, ladies, the floor is open to you to introduce your,
1: your dynamic self. Good day. I am Precious Stephanie. Uh, seasoned healthcare leader uh, in the psychiatric arena um, and I look forward to digging into today's topic.
2: Hi, my name is Alia Kamsani. I have a background in medical sciences. So I had a, I've done a PhD um, specializing in cancer and tumor vasculature. vasculature. And um, yeah, I'm, it's a pleasure to be joining the podcast today and discussing a very interesting topic That's very relevant to our time at the moment.
0: Yeah. Thank you, ladies. So if you're listening, if you're a student, public health professional, interested in core truths, examining various perspectives, then you have found the right space. This is the place for you. So last time, um, our discourse covered a few things. um, And just to, to back it up and to like rewind um, right now, our theme is COVID. You know, we're discussing all things COVID because that's where we are. We're, we are a year out from when we went to shelter in place or, you know, quarantine, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, I was recently on a pike a at a um, clubhouse and a woman described it as confinement. And I thought, hmm, that is a really good way to describe it. I was like, it's the year of confinement. So you know, and yes, we kind of slowly moved out of it, but you know, for that time that we were all in the house and just kind of like with nothing to do and nowhere to go, it it is confinement and a lot of stressful things happen. So you know, we definitely want to tease some of those things out and put a spotlight on how we all fared through that and how we're faring now. So as I said last time, we. A few things, COVID, like, and I think our last discussion was like, um, this being the new normal, right? So now where we are is vaccines. So I think it's really important that we, you know, discuss vaccines, um, and, and, and how they fit into the new normal, right? Because if this is something that we're going to be, um, living with, um, just like we have vaccinations every year, there's a flu shot, there's many different infections that have come and gone over the years um so and now we're just we're at this one you know and there'll be more you know to come so um we're gonna address that elephant in the room um and that's mainly because there are so many different stories misconceptions conspiracy theories all types of things um but today we are going to focus on what we do know right so let's start like you know vaccines what are they they help to fight infection um and build immunity um most of us can remember the time when we were younger um in those traumatic days at the doctor's office didn't just here in the US um children are required to be vaccinated prior to starting school um so some of us may remember that time it's something that um everybody or most people the, the there's common knowledge of vaccines but for those who don't know you know that's what vaccines are, um, but again, like I said, we're going to focus on what we do know, um, because again, there's so many misconceptions, and so we're going to outline a few things. Quick disclaimer: um, this today's program is not in favor or against vaccinations. It's just stating what is known, what is what what is fact based on the information that is currently currently is a keyword available. So um, I want to get us started with what vaccinations are out there. So currently, there are three authorized for use in the U.S. And one of them was just recently authorized. So there is the Pfizer PNT162V2 and the Moderna mRNA1273. So they're both pretty similar, have some slight differences, as I've learned recently, based on, like, efficacy um, of trials that were conducted. And so, like most vaccinations, they are intramuscular, um, so they're given in the upper arm, and they can—they both consist of two rounds. The Pfizer is consisting of two rounds that are 21 days apart, and the Moderna is two rounds that are 28 days apart. The other difference between the two is that Pfizer's um, age range starts at 16 and the Moderna at um, 18. Currently, the third approved or authorized vaccination in the U.S. was, um, at the time of this recording, it's recently been approved. It was an emergency approval, and a lot of that has to do with, like, the supply and demand, like, which we'll get into later, Um, but there isn't a lot known yet on um, what the the differences are with that, and that is the Johnson & Johnson um, um, version, which is... Uh, distributed through Janssen, which is T- Johnson & Johnson's pharmaceutical arm.
2: So um,
0: that's what we know right now. And so one thing that's really interesting um, that I, I'd like to get some input on, especially from you, um, Alia, as you, you are our resident clinician and our doctor and our PAC. you know, let's get into <laughs> what the, the mRNA means. We know that, um, you know, if, if you've been following COVID and looked at some, you know, so much information online, um, but they talk about COVID is a disease that attacks the RNA sequence. So let's talk about, like, you know, what that means and, you know, the difference between some other vaccines. I think they call them, like, Vector, which actually has live, um, live particles of the actual infection in it. So give us some insight on that.
2: So, um, yeah, just to follow on from what you said in terms of how vaccines can help us, we know that vaccines contained either a weakened or inactive part of a particular organism, which is called an antigen, which basically triggers an immune response within the body. Um, Newer vaccines, such as the mRNA-based vaccine, contains more like a blueprint for producing antigens rather than the antigen itself. So in essence, the mRNA vaccine works by teaching cells to make a protein that will trigger an immune response if exposed to, in this particular case, COVID-19. Um, so, regardless of whether the vaccine is made up of the antigen itself or the blueprint, uh, the body will produce the antigen. Um, this weakened version will not cause the disease in the person receiving the vaccine, but it essentially will prompt the immune system to respond much as, is, as, as if it would have on its first reaction to the actual pathogen itself. Um, As you said, some vaccines require multiple doses given weeks or months apart, and the the idea behind this is that this is needed to allow for the production of long-lived antibodies and the development of memory cells. And in this way, the body is trained to fight the specific disease-causing organism, building up memory of the pathogen so as to rapidly fight it if and when exposed in the future. Um, And we know, I mean, when it comes to vaccines, they prevent millions of illnesses and save numerous lives every year. Um, And as a result of widespread vaccine use, the smallpox virus, um, for example, has been completely eradicated. And the incidence of polio, measles and other childhood diseases has also been dramatically reduced around the world. Um, So... um, Despite the success of conventional vaccine, so approaches such as, as mentioned, the live uh, attenuated or inactivated pathogens, um, there are still major hurdles to vaccine development against infectious pathogens, um, especially from those uh, viruses that are better able to evade, you know, the immune response. Um, so there is, it's not so much, you um, um you know, the emergence of viruses, et cetera. But the main obstacle is not so much the effectiveness of conventional approaches, but the need for more rapid development and large scale deployment. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the first report of the successful use of um, in vitro transcribed mRNA in animals was published in 1990. Um, So since then, they've been trying to understand and, you know, better study the use of mRNA vaccines, um, in animals. Um, however, it's only now, you know, as of recently um, that, um, you know, that it's it's kind of been picked up again in terms of researching um, mRNA therapeutics, um, uh, in particular nucleic acid therapeutics. Um, um, and that's basically, uh, you know, the mRNA vaccine in particular field is developing extremely rapidly. There's a large body of preclinical data that has been accumulated over the past several years and multiple clinical trials have been initiated. Um and the data suggests that mRNA vaccines have the potential to solve many of the challenges in vaccine development for both infectious diseases and interestingly cancer as well.
0: Interesting. Um. Uh, Precious, do you have anything to add? I know there were some other things, like some questions that came up from your um, share office, So, but uh, before I jump right in.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Um, I think when we consider, you know, the vaccination experience, we really have to think about, I'm not even going to get into the, the science of it because that that is, I think that was covered wonderfully Um, but i think as we delve into this conversation about the vaccines we have to really be cognizant of access i know we'll get into that a little bit so um i look forward to digging in (laughs) hey um
0: so one of the things that i thought about was um when it comes to the vaccine like questions that you know even i would have um because these things kind of help few misconceptions, right? You know, can it, can vaccines alter DNA? Like, cause we're talking about um, this vaccine is like, you know, an mRNA vaccine. So like, you know, does the average person understand the difference between DNA and RNA and how they work? You know, thinking like NA, that's just my genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like, can it protect against variants? We know right now that there are three. There's the South African, the European, and I think there's one in Brazil. And I think I may have recently read about a variant in California and maybe one in New York. But, you know, there's all these different mutations because we know that's what disease does sometimes, it mutates. So that's a – variant is another way of saying mutation. There's a change in the the biological structure of the actual virus. So, you know, those are some things that um, I know people have questions about. And, like, can the current vaccines, like, you know – do they, do they, um, solve for X, right? You know, are they prepared for those variables? And I've read in, um, you know, some articles that they actually do, like, um, they, they, they are, you know, they're advisable, you know, to take, um, and to address the variant as well. Um, what do you think about that, Alia? So.
2: so based on the research that has been done when it comes to mRNA vaccines in particular, um, It seems to be that the mRNA is degraded by normal cellular processes. And as a result as well, it can be regulated through, you know, modifications and delivery methods. So it's pretty much, um, you know, it's it's we're able to make it more stable and highly translatable um and it's potentially you know there's a lower risk of say infection or mutagenesis like you touched upon in terms of you know entering the body and causing mutations Mm -hmm. um so in that regard it seems to be pretty much based on the research that's already been done somewhat safe um in that regard um and it also has Um, I think it's important to touch upon, and it's a huge benefit, is that the mRNA vaccines have the potential for rapid, inexpensive, and scalable manufacturing. Um, So that's also something to consider as well. But as you know, in relation to the mRNA vaccines that have been developed against COVID, um, of course, we're limited in terms of what we know. However, mRNA vaccines have been used in clinical trials against, say, the Zika virus, for example. Um and those have seen, they, I mean, they, they come across and seem to be somewhat positive.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, um, yeah.
2: I think something
1: to, for us to consider, even with the, the terms, right? So variance versus mutation. And of course, mutation just brings about such a fear. If you think about, you know, this virus just mutating, while a vaccine is being offered and developed or now at this point three vaccines are being offered and developed um i think that something to kind of keep us a little tethered and balanced is that um a mutation is just a change and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's worse but different than what's being currently acknowledged or studied or recognized so when we think a mutation we're always, i know my mind goes to something much worse um, but in but in many instances and I'll use influenza, there are many iterations of when, when we say, "Oh I got the flu last year should I or should I not get my flu shot this year and mm-hmm. you kind of compare what this year's flu vaccination is is comprised of it's based on what the greatest propensity of last year how much, how likely it is that you'll have last year's versions um that's really acknowledging that it's a it's a, it's a scale. There's a Likert scale there and it's not always much, much worse. So I just want to kind of put that out there because when we when we use that term mutation or variance, it, it can conjure fear and since we are, you know, speaking truth from a place of what we know now, I think it's important for our listening audience to to recognize that.
0: Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Um 'Cause I, I, I just think like, you know, why use the word variant? You know, like so it, it may be a word that we're used to, but what about the general public? So, you know, but then what happens is people are like, It's a mutation, you know? So it's like it's it's a change. Let's say it's the change how it and how it and, and what the actual what it looks like under the microscope.
2: I think I think it's also important to add that viruses In general, it's very normal for them to undergo mutations because they're undergoing, you know, a rapid scale of division. Um, and so you're gonna have accidents that occur, so called accidents that occur. And these could kind of elicit, you know, make the virus more transmissible or it could actually make the virus less deadly. So, um, it's not, it's not all negative is basically what I'm trying to say. And yeah, like, precious, just to kind of, um, you know, build upon what you said, it, it, you know, it's the messaging, it's the language used and the association with that, that language that I think is really important in terms of, you know, educating the community about, you know, these scientific terms.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the next part I want to get into um, is the recommend are the recommendations. So the CDC did come out with recommendations as to how this rollout of the vaccine should look. So while we have yes um, these first two now we have these three um, different versions, um, and that they're working with FDA and, and CDC on like that and and local state and local health departments to roll this vaccine out. You know, it's advisable that say, these um, rollout centers and or state and local governments are following like CDC. And also, it's important to note that the while there are these recommendations by the CDC, like eligibility eligibility does uh, um, there's a range from state to state. So depending on what state you're in, eligibility may be different. But right now, we're going to talk about the actual recommendation for the CDC, which I think most uh, places are following. Um, so, there's the two questions, right? It's who goes first, and and then there's like, you know, what about um, recipients or people who may have contraindications because of medication, um, or specifically because of underlying conditions. So, let's go with like the who goes first talk first. Right? And I think it really fits inside of the health equity discussion, you know, and, and really pinpointing that COVID did not start health equity or, this, I'm sorry, COVID did not, you know, all of a sudden create this issue of health equity. It helped to spotlight and highlight the issues that were already there. The, the health disparities or differences in health access Um, and just overall health and wellness between populations, specifically racial and ethnic groups or socioeconomic groups um, has always been there, you know, and COVID again, I'll say it again, it just helped to highlight. So when we talk about who goes first, um, I remember like there was a lot of talk about, well, we have to make sure that the vaccine gets to those populations who need it most, right? The underserved population. So, there's a whole list um, for phase one, and then phase one is broken down into three parts. So for phase 1A, we have um, elderly who are in nursing homes, so specifically long-term care. So it's not just like 75 and up. It's a specific audience of those who are in long-term care um, facilities, so your nursing homes. And then, of course, your health care workers who are front line. So those are your clinicians who are engaging um, and, and working to care for people, whether they have COVID or not, because hospitals don't close. You know, clinics, a lot of clinics have not closed. So those individuals are definitely the 1A group along with those um, elderly who are in nursing homes. Then we have the um, Phase 1B and 1C. And so Phase 1B is the frontline essential worker. So those are your firemen, like these are your public service, right? Your firemen, your police I think, you know, maybe even like some politicians are in there because the government can't stop. Um, and then you have your elderly who are 75 plus and then 65 to 74. And then we have the 1C, which is the third phase um, of phase one, which is your 16 through 64. So, of course. That 16 is because it's catching the lowest number of what the vaccine provides. So Pfizer is um, 16 and up, so it's the 1664. And then there's the other um, essential workers. And so these are, you know, um, folks we were talking about before, just like the frontline essential workers. These are the people who may not be clinicians, but they have not stopped working because they are the people that help run a city. These are your transportation Workers, the the garbage men, the public service, um, your um, electric engineers. You know, the power grid needs to stay up, so people have still been going to work, going outside, exposing themselves, so that again, so that the city can still run. So while we're all at home. Netflixing and chilling and, you know, watching Hulu or whatever it is that we are doing, Um, for those who were fortunate enough to have a little bit of comfort while we were in confinement, you know, there are people that were helping maintain that comfort, right, that level of comfort. And so they have to be acknowledged. So these are the people who are in phase one. Um, and, again, not not endorsing taking a vaccine or not, but when it just comes to a rollout of something that is saying, like, this is going to make you better, yeah, there should be um, a hierarchy as to who goes first because there are some people who are essential. Um, um, just, like, a quick story time, there was – there's a film that um, recently came out called Greenland, and it was, you know, basically, like, a post-apocalyptic um, film about like, like what do they call it? Um, um, World destruction, I forgot what the population ending, you know, kind of kind of destruction. And oh, uh, one part of the film that I thought was amazing was that they highlighted that there are some people who are essential. And those are going to be the people who are going to be at the top of the list. And I don't think that we really think about that really often. There are going to be who are at the top of the list, and it doesn't mean everybody um so I just thought that was really key to highlight right We're talking about some truths, so that is a truth that um really needs to be um recognized when we're talking about something and so in this case of vaccines, there are people who are at the top of the list to get it first, and it just is what it is right um, mm-hmm. but that being said um there when we talk about like who's getting it first, there have been some some issues with that, right so there was the issue, there's issues with like elderly and access and you know whether they understand it um there are issues um going into when we talk about the workers that need it the most we We mentioned this the last time, like a lot of the essential workers when we think about who's working in the hospitals, who's working in the cities, a lot of them are are members who are people who are members of racial and ethnic groups that are traditionally or historically underserved. And so they're not necessarily seeing them get vaccinated at the rates of other groups. So you'll have clinics and centers that have been set up, what we're hearing and seeing and reading, you know, this is what is fact, that the vaccine is um, in certain communities that so they're supposed to be helping underserved population, but it's not really those populations, those people in that community that are lining up. Right. So let's start with like some of the issues that we've seen with elderly, right. With the access. Um, like
1: Sure, sure. sure. So I, I think when, you know, you open this with uh, the idea of health equity, and that COVID didn't really create this challenge, but it, it put a spotlight on it. So I think in that, um, we have to think about how we treat our elderly. And I'm going to focus there first and not the essential workers. Um, during the height of COVID, those hit the hardest were the elderly in the senior nursing facilities, in an SNF, right, or in a nursing home they were they were um transitioning at the highest rates um and it just seemed like it was an unmanageable reality um and when you think about you know you mentioned a post apocalyptic movie right and while it's fictional we do know that in war times you have to triage and the you know the sad reality about triage is at some point you've got to decide who am i going to exert energy into these life saving you know, technologies on when I only have a finite number of, and these are things that we knew hospitals are running out of ventilators and even just life saving equipment and even people, healthcare workers, right? Um, and so unfortunately, many of our elderly just really bear the brunt of um, this experience. One, because they couldn't get out. Into fresh air, right? Due to mobility um, issues, um, two their access to folks were the same people every day, just the employees that worked there and perhaps the family members that visited. And at that time, we didn't have any of the information about viral transmission to to limit the number of visitors or to put temperature checks or require COVID that on um, COVID tests because they weren't even that readily accessible. So. Prioritizing that population was really to right a wrong, you know, Um, and so it's a wonderful thing that, that that population was prioritized. We need to now think about what that means, because while the staff, the essential workers can facilitate the administration of those clients' vaccines, there, once we get into that aged population that are not living in a nursing home, how do they navigate the websites that you need to go on to register to become eligible to receive the vaccine? How do they figure out where the vaccine is, is, um, is, is available for, to them? Um, and then once you get there, who's going to help them fill out all the paperwork? That has to go into tracking and even even scheduling second doses, which should happen once you receive your first dose. how is that being communicated, and who's going to ensure that that individual is able to make it back to the vaccination site to their original vaccination site? so I think that there are lots of things for us to think about um, as it pertains to as it pertains to just the the, the this aged population um. So I'll kind of I'll kind of pause there and then maybe we can shift to the essential workers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just to like, you know, really quickly build on what you said. Um, And from my own experience in working with a hospital in my early days of um, my public health career. Right. Um, Just seeing the struggles with um, some of the elderly patients, just scheduling and accessorize. That's what it's called here in New York City. Like, you know, that is you know, what some people have to get around because they can't drive. They don't necessarily have a family member who's available to take them to their doctor's appointment. So Mm -hmm. there's a struggle with getting, you know, certain services to get them to where they need to go. Um, Another thing that you um, touched upon um, regarding the elderly, um, especially like in the nursing homes, is when we're thinking about the staff, staff, it goes back to the essential work workers and paying and attention to them. You have people working double shifts or working who work in multiple homes because they are trying to fill a wage gap, right? So they're working from one home to the next and so there's not necessarily use protection, so if they're being exposed to someone who's infected, then they become a carrier. They take it to the next nursing home, and then it spreads all over again. So those are some of the things that we were seeing when it comes to, you know, the proliferation of, you know, COVID rates in the elderly population, specifically in nursing homes. There were, like, a, a, several different things. Um, and then, finally, extinction-level event was the, was the phrase I was looking for when it comes to the film. Extinction-level event. Um, but, yeah, um, Aliyah.
2: What do you think? So, yeah, just basically focusing on that elderly kind of group of people, that population, I think it's, it's pretty clear since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, older adults have been at a greater risk of serious illness, hospitalization, and death due to COVID 19. Um, and as a result, you know, a number of states have responded um, to these kind of recommendations that the CDC has put forward and have, you know, tried to prioritize these this elderly population. Um, However that said, not all states have changed their vaccination plans and not all of them have redefined their priority populations to include this older segment of society. Um, So we know that states are making tough decisions about how best to allocate a limited and insufficient supply of vaccines, you know, balancing the needs needs and the concerns of different populations um including the older adults but also as you you know touched upon essential workers such as the teachers the postal workers um you know the delivery drivers and those who have frequent contact with the public um, but it's important that, as i just mentioned also that i think the most significant determinant um in terms of evaluating the vaccination rates is the demand for the vaccine continues to exceed the supply and i think one of the main problems is that states often don't know how much supply they're going to be given that also makes it difficult and also you know building upon what both yourself and precious have said um you know there are problems in terms of you know in that these elderly uh the elderly kind of um segment of the society do face when it comes to kind of either signing up procedures um you know, there's a lot of confusion in terms of who exactly is eligible. Um, and, you know, recent pollings have suggest, you know, that kind of, um, you know, detect kind of and an, report back the experiences of these people. Um, you know, not knowing how to schedule appointments or where to get vaccinated or waiting in long lines or arriving for an appointment to find vaccines are no longer available. Um, you know, there, there's also th- these, this segment was also disadvantaged in the sense that they don't, many of them don't have internet access or they're less fluent with technology, like I think Preston's um, mentioned as well. Um, and then, so this all increases kind of barriers to vaccination for these seniors, especially those of colour. Um, and it's, you know, you know, the fact that, um, the, you know, the vaccine far exceeds, you know, the demand for the vaccine far exceeds the supply um that along with these on the ground realities and difficulties it's really difficult to ascertain you know how many of this you know this segment of the population are receiving the vaccine um and how likely um you know these these issues are kind of you know going to influence the results of whether they have access to it um whether they're getting you know you know they're actually getting uh, the supply that they actually require so um I think there's a lack of uniformity in terms of how we report um and you know how many of these people um you know these vulnerable people uh, are receiving the vaccine and that's you know creating a little bit of an unclear picture um as to kind of are they actually being um prioritized
1: I think you make a really good point when you you know you you addressed what the crux of of some of the concerns definitely is, and that is um, that the distribution is unpredictable. Um, in in some hospital systems, you can place an order for 2,000 vaccines and only find out on the designated Monday morning that you're receiving the shipment confirmation will only confirm 500. So even if you're ramping up and you're prepared to administer a thousand vaccines that week, um, you now have to make the tough decision. Um, And sometimes if you try to create a a rubric, right, which is in all, I mean, any hospital system that's desirous of, you know, making sure the community gets this vaccine is going to try to come up with an um, a system that's going to be equitable and fair, but when you do that, you're still faced with: if I now notify two thirds of the of the folks who registered, or even three quarters of the folks that registered, if you only get 500 or 250, if you only if you notify them that they are that they are need, going to be rescheduled, but then the 500 that are scheduled, there are no shows you know things happen and a, and a, an appointment is canceled you're then left scrambling um so while in some parts of the country we're seeing that um you know folks are not able to gain access to the vaccine there are also stories of dose wasting right and and it's a really really sad sad reality i mean um and for those who don't know dose wasting is Essentially, every vial has approximately, um, and I'll speak specifically to Moderna, but every vial has approximately 10 doses. Um, I say approximately because sometimes we've actually found that the, the vial has more than 10. Um, but if so, you and you need to administer those doses within a finite number of hours. So if you're going through your day and you have a few cancellations, there's a, there's a clock ticking. And if you're getting close to that expiration window and you don't have a person to provide this vaccine to, um, you are forced to waste the dose. And that is an atrocity when we've got, as you mentioned, long lines and people, you know, coming in and just waiting for this vaccine for hours and hours. Um, So so we're challenged by stabilizing access creating a fair and equitable rubric and ensuring that we we get a sense of who really wants and needs this vaccine and how do we get it to them. Um, And another idea for that is um, there are some really amazing mobile vaccination um, resources that are being created. I know there are partnerships with, you know, Major pharmacy, local pharmacy companies, but there are also grassroots organizations who are pooling resources to make sure that the vaccines get into the communities that need them. So um, so th- there's so many plates spinning, if you will, um, just to kind of maintain all that needs to be managed to keep this going.
0: Thank you for joining us here at True Health Live. Remember to like, save, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment and send an email if there's a topic if you want to discuss. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at True Health Live. You can also listen on DeidreSully.com. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss or hear, you can send an email to TrueHealthLive at gmail.com. See you next time.